I would say that nothing about creativity is a linear process, really. Even the idea of what we think of creativity always changes anyway. We might have a framework that could be a bit more engineering or problem solving, but engineers and scientists would go back and forth just as much as, you know, what we consider a creative. So that sort of thinking, I think, is quite similar. Welcome back to the Genuine X podcast. This week's episode, creativity, artificial intelligence and us. Martin and I talked to Dr. Sharma Rahman, a scientist, artist and creative technologist. We discuss the science behind creativity, how it is measured, can it be commoditized, and are brainstorms a waste of time. We also talk about creativity's unpredictability and how AI is being used to support lateral thinking and could become the creative partner of the future. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Genuine X podcast. Uh, we've got a great guest uh, in with us today. Uh, Sharma, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Yes, I'm Sharma Rahman. I'm a scientist and an artist, and I like to work creatively with technology. Could you just expand a little bit uh, as to what it is that means, what you, what you do? Yeah, so um, I have an interdisciplinary PhD looking at the neuroscience of creativity um, and also looking at the patterns in our brains, looking at complex systems. Mm -hmm. So a little bit of maths and physics thrown in there, mm -hmm. uh, essentially to try and look at um, the different types of creativity uh, that we all go through and that the processes of innovation and problem solving. So um, that's the academic side. And mm -hmm. um, as an artist, I'm a musician, theater maker, storyteller, actor, um, experienced designer, essentially. Um, what else? Creative technology. Uh, I guess um, I like incorporating technology into my own practice. So um, some of the things I've done in, in, in my music is, for example, integrating wearable technology to um, enable um, a more sort of seamless uh, experience of recording and performing uh, both electronically and acoustically. Mm -hmm. um, and I now have a startup where uh, we're combining the capabilities of AI um, with the knowledge of neuroscience and mental models mm -hmm. of creativity to uh, make digital tools that enhance creativity, um, literally, so to augment your creative intelligence. So. so that's quite a blend of skills that you've got going on there. And um, I was listening to a talk you just gave us uh, uh, earlier, and um, those that blending seems to be kind of part of your philosophy yeah. of creativity, right? Yes, yeah. I'm uh, very multidisciplinary um, yeah. in nature. Um, yes, um, I actually started from when I first came to the UK and people were like, do you want to go down the science route or the art route? And I was like, I don't understand <laughs> so yeah and then the tools that you've been creating have been sort of ai driven right um a little bit so it's actually probably more from the understanding of um the underlying neuronal processes um what i would be what somebody might call a cognitive neuroscientist so basically looking at how physiology um, um and sort of the communication and patterns in physiology actually links to behavior mm -hmm. um, and also cognitive thought processes. Um, so for me, it's like, how can we link all of these different scales of activity from, say, a cellular level to something as grand as a behavior? Um, so I would say that um, really underpins any design um, of a product. And we just happen to have a very cool tool uh, right now called AI. Um, 
which is uh, able to be interactive. Mm-hmm. And that's a really, really big part um, in terms of um, enabling behavior change in anyone. And also it allows um, from its sort of huge capacity to analyze very fast uh, pattern detection and, and also how to personalize that pattern detection. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so you also told us a, a story. I'm just going back to that sort of cellular level of connection, yeah. uh, which I found really interesting in the talk that you gave. You gave us an example of how human beings can be connected empathetically. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah Would yeah. you mind just sharing that with us? Yeah. So um, uh, I was also the artistic director of a creative production company that I've uh, been um, going with for a while during my PhD called Jugular Productions. Um, and it's literally about bringing together the arts and the sciences. Um, so what does that mean? That's kind of bringing to the forefront academic research, which could be quite heady. So, you know, joining the head and then the heart, a.k.a. using performance and other lived visceral experience to actually help people um, really embody something or understand why it could be um, of interest. So one of the um, uh, sort of uh, uh, theater pieces that we did was called Rhythms of the Heart. Um, And uh, at the end of this um, sort of piece, we wanted to bring together two bits of research um, where one bit of research uh, showed that those who sing together actually synchronize together and specifically synchronize their heartbeats and heart rates, essentially. Um, and then there's another uh, piece of research that showed that actually synchronizing uh, any form of biorhythms, especially something as strong as your heart, um, actually forms the basis of group empathy. And, um, you know, music, obviously, from a rhythmic perspective, is something that allows people to do that. And so people often say that that's the oldest technology we ever invented because mm. it's a much quicker way of um, getting um, a whole group of people connected and communicating um, even faster than what we're doing right now which is words so because that that struck me as really interesting because when um when you were explaining that story to me i was kind of thinking so that's an evolution that's evolutionary that that's an inbuilt evolutionary tool that we've got to to generate empathy for each other yeah i think so yeah Uh, for sure so when we kind of look at where the tool that you're creating with ai I just find it's really interesting link between the two that we already have kind of built tools in which we recognize and synchronize with each other to help with states of flow and creativity. But then to create an AI based, which doesn't really have empathy at its heart, (laughs) but yet can be a basis for recognition of empathy is quite interesting, right? Yeah, I mean, to an extent... um at this point, we are building a big sort of uh, graphs or networks of uh, word-based meanings, so aka semantic graphs. So we're just building, um, I suppose, like um, a form of a consciousness about a particular topic. Um, but it's not a, obviously a consciousness. There's nothing, you know, in terms of a, a sentient being here or anything. This is not general AI people. Um, but so on that same basis, you can't necessarily say that it has emotions like empathy or anything like yeah. that. But the way that we're designing it is how can it be symbiotic to uh, the human process? Um, and much as we have inbuilt tools, we also have inbuilt tools that don't help us uh, because we get very embedded um, in um, our past experiences, for example. So it's very useful sometimes because you're like, okay, you know, I've had this experience with a tiger before and I know to get out of the way. Um, but then there's other times where, you know, say an embedded experience could be trauma or it could be just, you know, this is the lazy way that I get about doing something. Or, you know, in, in the case of creative actions and practices, um, as I was mentioning, we tend to, um, you know, try and repeat stuff that was successful before, which is kind of the antithesis to being novel. 
Um, mm -hmm. Or we, in our ideation session, we might get very precious about the very first idea that, that we come across. And so the AI is kind of there almost to be um, unempathetically objective about, you know, some of the topics that you might be exploring um, to help widen out your perspective. So, on, so you talked about ideation sessions there. So we're kind of, we're talking brainstorms, really. I'm interested in your yes. perspective on it. And, and because I take a very dim view on brainstorming to the point where I've pretty much banned them because and it's not just me i refer to john hegarty of bbh who says no good idea ever came out of a brainstorm mm -hmm. and the reason for that is is because i think it's this kind of sort of sense of like commoditizing creativity i mean we know that different people have their ideas at different times their flow state at different times you know some some people have their ideas in the morning some people have them in the afternoon some people have them in the shower and assuming that everyone's suddenly going to be at their peak flow at the same time in the same room is certainly I've just observed it's just never the case um, but what's your perspective on that well um, first off I don't think you just get into flow as soon as you wake up I think there's a few stages and steps that you can take in order to get to that stage um, within that sort of creative cognition uh, model um, Secondly, I guess the tool that we're talking about, um, yes, it could be used in brainstorming with two or more people, but it's also very useful to use on your own whenever you want. So the situation that you're talking about, exactly, it, could, it can happen at any time in the day. It's meant to be flexible. It's meant to be for you to kind of go towards and um, sort of um, kind of like a conversational partner in a sense, um, mm. trying to sort of reflect back at you maybe some assumptions that you might have and then broaden it further so um i think also some of the bad uh press around brainstorming comes from the size of the group that people often try and do brainstorming in um and having 10 or more people in the room doing that has often been really ineffective um, and so some of the stuff that, you know, we're doing as well is just like, okay, how can you analyze ideas in a way that's easy to, to look at and move forward with, especially when you have so many people in the room, all with different opinions, not necessarily listening to each other, not really converging on something. You get into hierarchy and group thing. Yeah, and all sorts of things thing, like yeah, that. People exactly. who don't feel they're kind of being heard. And in fact, you said group think. Um, one of the things that we're literally like we've had feedback on is how the AI has helped people outside of group think, uh, outside of their unconscious human bias. Um, with a bit more diversity of thought. Um, but um, just to come back to brainstorming, I think they've seen like there is a sweet spot of having two or three people um, brainstorming together, but it's also knowing when to brainstorm in in that process of creativity. So yeah, like you say, it, it could be after you've had an initial thought yourself and then you want to kind of like mm. banter about it. Or it could be actually, I have no idea about this topic at all. Uh, can we banter first and then I'm going to go off and do yes, my own the, thing. The purge it's referred to quite a lot, isn't yeah. it? Of just sort of like just freely just kind of talking around stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, think, would you... Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess I would call it, there's a difference between individual and group. And I think there's a place for both. Uh, in most creative processes. So whether you want to call it brainstorming or not, I think it's more about um, sharing of ideas. Yeah, 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 cause actually, because the, the the opposite of that is obviously which you try and do, because this is sort of personally fascinating for me as somebody who has to manage creative teams as a creative director, and obviously you're trying to kind of put a business model around creative ideation. And you get the opposite as well, which is if you put a creative on their own, it's it's equally as bad so the sweet spot tends to be and obviously advertising figured this out in the 1960s which is the art director copywriter of just two people but i think furthermore than that can just be any two people just kind of 
talking to each other and obviously where you're going is it can be an individual talking to a to an ai is essentially the same thing could be um so also when we've um sort of had a look at the the pairwise connection you just mentioned so the art director and the copywriter so often they would have their initial brain dump for example and then it was sort of peter out and then that's when the third person aka the ai could come in and be like can we reopen out these sorts of avenues that now we've you know run out of ideas for so i think yeah it's it's one of those repositories yeah, of it's a, interesting yeah a bigger um pool of thoughts essentially because again that's actually interesting because coming back to the kind of this sort of was quite perverse sort of like trying to put business around creativity mm -hmm. trying to kind of how long does it take to come up with an idea yeah but man, again that's when you, <laughs> a really hard question i don't really want to ever answer so it's quite weird when people it, do that it's, it's like, the apocryphal tesla thing of you know it took me five seconds to make the mark but 20 30 years to know where to put the mark yeah or like what was it um on jack kerouac didn't he write the book um, yeah. like in however many hours and then took him like another five years and however many revisions? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah this yeah. is it. And, and, and again, so, you know, having, you know, when you, you observe the behaviors of creative teams, you can see when the brain dries up. And usually what I would do at that point, that's the point where it's like go out for a walk, go and yeah. get your lunch, break, stop work on another project. But actually, if you start to bring in an AI platform, that can be the point where you need another stimulus and that can be a platform such as yours, but it could basically just as another form of stimulus to kind of keep it going. Absolutely. So we're actually trying to augment that uh, going for a walk stage, for example. So it's the incubation stage um, where your brain just carries on working on it on a subconscious level, trying to find patterns and stuff. So if they I can try and help augment finding patterns um, so you can come back from your walk and be like, oh, right, okay, that's a cool way of looking at it. You know? So I also um, really enjoyed seeing that on the tool itself, there's a, a lateral brain a lateral, <laughs> lateral thing. Yeah, lateral which thinking for me, slider, yeah. For me being uh, sort of very dyslexic, the lateral bit of my brain, I think, is the most valuable and uh, cool. the most irritating uh, sometimes because you kind of get to an idea, but you don't understand how you've got there. Okay. When you come to AI and a lateral, because lateral to me is spark of, you know, it, it, you're never sure where the lateral bit comes from, really. It's a connection of unknown quantity. Yeah. How do you quantify that in an AI state? Yeah, I mean... Uh, another suggestion for calling it instead of say lateral is to say remote associations. So that's kind of an interesting way of actually saying what the AI is doing, which is it's um, widening out its circle of associations um, so that, you know, by the time you're at the other extreme, you have these concepts um, which are still related, but much looser uh, than the initial stuff. Yeah. It reminds me of, I mean, there's an exercise that, that, that that I find quite good as a sort of teaching creativity, which is to come up with two completely random objects <laughs> and then try and think of a connection between them. And mm -hmm. when I've when I've done that sort of thing with like people who I know who are more sort of mechanic-y, engineering-y type people yeah. who are very who are very literal thinkers, they really struggle with that. Whereas abstract thought is much easier for people who've kind of got a creative brain. But but the inverse of that is that I, as a creative person, find it very difficult to think rationally in very kind of straight lines in sort of very engineering <laughs> terms. You right, know what I mean? yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's kind of interesting. Um, I would say that not nothing about creativity is a linear process, really. Um, so we might have a framework that could be a bit more engineering or problem solving, but engineers and scientists would go back and forth just as much as, you know, um, what we consider a creative, you know. Um, so that sort of thinking, I think, is quite similar um, in terms of the non the nonlinear way of approaching at something. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's quite interesting. So, for example, um, one of the words that I entered into the into the demo today was the word whiskey, right? And the AI tool came back with oyster and shack. And 
And I do get a whole bunch of people often asking, why that? Totally don't get why that's there. And then other people go, oh, that's really interesting. You mean like in the deep south, right? That whole sort of like cultural association with whiskey and then obviously oyster shacks and da da da. Um, like say in New Orleans or something like that, you know? So, but they, they tried to find that association in there. So it's quite interesting because some people would say, can, we, can you just tell me what the link here is? And others are like, I don't really want to know the link because um, actually that's better for the creative sort of stimulus. See, for me, I was already kicking off my shoes in a nice pub in Ireland with my feet up looking out the window at the sea, you, you know, drinking whiskey and eating oysters. <laughs> that, that's kind of where it took me. Yeah. I, can't, I could almost smell the seaside next to me for in that. A shack. Yeah, exactly, a, right? A fishing shack. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it gives you more, it gives you access to more more kind of world experience if that makes sense because I've always been I think a good creative is someone who's kind of lived a life like you need to kind of travel I think you know the worst thing I think for creativity is is the kind of the internet and I see it all the time and especially with like junior teams and you get given a brief and the first thing they do is go and sit at their Mac and start Googling and yeah. you know you need to to grab there and just see something new and something different it's that whole like you, you regurgitate what you consume and if throughout your life you've not consumed very much yeah. culturally then not much more is going to kind of come out. But any any individual, any human is only the sum of their own experiences. And so that is going to inform the ideas that they, they come up with. And presumably totally, totally. sort of through AI, you have access to pretty much all of culture and all of information. The more we add to that uh, sort of semantic graph, yeah. So, and that'd be really international. So, you know, a lot of people have come at it, you know, and they're in India, for example, or Singapore mm -hmm. or China, you know, um, and it's all really interesting because it's not just based from the UK. And obviously we're becoming um, a very international space as well in terms of many of the creative projects we might be um, tackling. So that's quite a good thing. Um, to, to, to be able to access that, but also the diversity of population in England is pretty unparalleled, right? So it's really interesting to be able to bring in all of these sort of different cultural references. Um, and yeah, so really important thing you said, which is when you are doing an ideation session, you're the sum of, of the people in that room. And so I guess what the AI does is try and bring in a, a bigger group of people if it, you know, into that yeah. sort of space um, and what they might think and associate in terms of meaning and culture. So. Because I think one important part of that process, I think, is the response of me to an idea, if you see what I mean. So how I will interpret what you say is almost an entirely another realm of study yeah. of what I see. For example, when I was just thinking about a pub yeah. in Ireland rather than <laughs> the deep south. What is south, it about the deep right? south? Yeah, but yeah, really we, we started in the same place, right? So, uh, you know, as Martin was saying, our, our impressions of the world and where we're from interpret the creativity that or the idea that we can then spit out, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. absolutely. So like, 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 like jazz, I suppose, is that yeah. you, you sort of say, okay, pub in Ireland, and then I go off the back of that and I I'd sort of throw in, okay, remembering kind of some dancers in a pub of Ireland. You go, okay, yeah, dancers. And it actually sort of ends up kind of becoming yeah. some of our experiences and we sort of free associate off of each other. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the kind of the, 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 the science of creativity is kind of fascinating and it feels like we're getting closer to, to figuring out what that model is. I think the danger is that you get too many people trying to. Um, shortcut it i guess uh -huh, yeah is the yeah. sort of the problem and that's i think where the kind of the balance needs to come is it a kind of tool that augments and enhances it yeah. and it shouldn't be looked mm. at in my opinion as a way to kind of go let's fire all the let's fire all the creatives let's just kind of get a little Absolutely kind of let's not. just get there's an yeah. app for that <laughs> so absolutely not i totally totally agree with you so I, we were talking about oh can it just write you know the whole 
sort of book or you know yeah. the copy or whatever press it is go feed the brief in press go exactly i've actually had people ask me why doesn't it do that not not in the way that you asked me but more like can we please do that because we work in innovation and the research element of innovation we just want to you know put in a whole bunch of reports that we find from the internet and then let it cogitate and give us the answer i was like well that doesn't help you think about it then does it um so, so for me, I think the, the, the design has been deliberately ha- just to have that framework, be aware of the processes that your brain does anyway, um, and then let the magic happen, like, but really enable the magic to happen. Because I think the problem for us is how to enable that magic to happen on a regular basis. Um, for whatever reason, it could be a topic we're totally unfamiliar with, I feel really tired today, or you know, there's constant like, interruptions, or you know, all sorts of other extraneous sort of elements that can come in that doesn't really help us do the thing that we're actually pretty good at doing. Um, but if the tool can kind of allow that flexibility, but still provide a framework that people can go back to and be like, okay, yeah, okay, this is what I need to do next sort of thing. And that's the human bit. And that's the bit that's going to be hard to replace. I mean, the worry, of course, again, you have observed this, you know, sort of the 20 years I've been working is that there is automation creeping in, or actually say creeping in, it's dramatically overtaking. So I think if you're an executional creative, I think you have to, I've always, I've always you know, if you, if you, Frankly, if you're like a designer or a like coder, a prototyper or something, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so much of that has been automated. And you know, we've we've talked previously about the fact that there are there are now you can now use AI to build an entire website for yeah, you. That's right. We said so we can just design an that, entire yeah. website for you. Um, Wait, logos that means are there's no web designed. designers. Uh oh. Yep. <laughs> Logo designers. I mean, all of that. All of that can be codified and right. kind of replaced. So anything executional, anything that is a kind of a linear process. Mm-hmm is rapidly becoming um, uh, harder and harder to Yeah, aren't they even integrating a a bit of an AI element to some of the Adobe layouts, for example? Yeah. Um, But something that somebody said actually also about Adobe is is this fact that um, technology often has been associated with like improving creativity. So so there was actually a um, uh, uh, um, report by Nesta looking at sort of the effect of new technologies, computerizability is what they call it, and creativity, but actually often it enables and improves on creativity. So so that it's unfounded that that, you know, the creatives will be out of a job because some of the things that Adobe enables some visual artists to do, um, it's just not possible to do um, with pen and paper. So then it opens up more possibilities. Similarly, say with animation, right? It's, you know, they defy gravity. <laughs> you can't necessarily do that if it's a documentary, right? So it's quite interesting how, you know, or like say I'm a musician, I have Ableton, I have Logic, I have Pro Tools, all of these things that allows me to produce essentially, you know, um, rather electronic based stuff, which I may not have access to otherwise. But I think the, also the, the human bit needs to be, in, in my opinion, the actual, the breaking out of the efficiencies that the software brings in, because you, you see it, you can kind of see trends Yes, that's you can see true trends well. in yeah. trends in like design in particular, yeah. design and yeah. animation, yeah. which are come from new software tools. So true. we've seen yeah. like when Photoshop first came around in the '90s, everything was like horrible Photoshop filters. We've seen <laughs> or Instagram filters now. Everything's kind of yeah. there's sort of an Instagram aesthetic. You've got yeah. kind of Cinema 4D has got really popular, so everything is all just sort of like loads and loads and loads of like coloured balls everywhere. And you've now got <laughs> people working in Houdini, and everything's kind of particles. It's, you see these yes. whopping great trends, and they're informed yeah. by the tools. Yeah. And that actually, yeah. to me, is the yeah. is the kind of the lack of the human being looking at it and going, yeah. "How can I vary this? How can I make this different and mm-hmm. new and interesting and stand out?" And you, as yeah. opposed to the kind of the homogeneity you get through just going, "What's the latest?" 
Yeah, you even get that software. in music as well, right? So, you know, you end up having the same sort of beats um, mm. being put in or the same. Yeah, auto tune. It just became ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you're like, that's the same 808 sound that that dude has or whatever, you know. Yeah, so yeah, definitely. Yeah, everyone's coming from the same samples. Right. So, which is why I guess even to coming back to my practice with the wearable tech, I was like, actually, I want me to inform the digital. Yeah. It's quite interesting. So instead of sitting there and post producing it and, you know, twiddling a bunch of knobs and, you know, yeah. laptopy things, I was like, well, what about my expression? and my movement as I'm actually performing and singing and playing the sitar and all these sorts of things, like, can that in itself create an electronic filter or, you know, um, a dynamic change of volume or, you know, all sorts of things like that. So so can we bring in literally the human element in a much more symbiotic way? Um, even if you're not thinking about deliberately how to go against whatever the, you know, the, the technology might want to dictate to you, could you then use it to actually come up with something completely different? Because I, I remember going to uh, Imogen Heat's festival at the yeah. Roundhouse mu yeah. Music, and it, this must have been five, six years ago, and mm. I still think about it every other week. Yeah. Some of the things which I saw there, uh, just they, they took uh, the process of making music and putting technology together in a way in which mm. I had never conceived it. Being more of a conceptual thinker than a technologist, so I, I like to stay in the more ethereal space of it. <laughs> so to see it in action, it was quite mind-blowing, and the gloves that she uses exactly. you know, were yeah. really, really interesting and yes. I, I haven't seen very much since then from right. that yeah, yeah, but yeah. I kind of I, I really enjoy watching the human interaction <laughs> this kind of weird conception of a space where music exists in three dimensions and only she can move them or whoever's wearing the gloves can move them it's really really interesting yeah, yeah. we were the um, one of the first artists in residence uh, with them to basically record an entire album uh, with improvising jazz musicians which is quite a challenge because it's not to an Ableton you know click track essentially you have you know a drummer who changes rhythm and tempo quite a lot and that's what you're meant to do type thing um, and then we ended up doing a, um, a multimedia a multidisciplinary yeah. multi everything <laughs> <laughs> like performance at the South Bank um, where the the gloves because I was wearing it like a like a storyteller I was interacting with like dancers who are embedded within the audience and then they would therefore interact differently influence me back um, and then whatever I was doing with the gloves would obviously influence the music yeah. and the band that were on stage so we were really interested in this sort of storytelling loop um, so you don't really know where one ends and starts you know? and so that's quite an interesting example of sort of collective consciousness like a dialogue between exactly in, in a way an emotional dialogue between two things yeah one of one of the things which kind of uh slightly it, i don't know if it concerns me but it's something i'm seeing happen a lot more in the world at the moment is that because of uh because of tools which are becoming quite ai based obviously the programmers that create them actually imprint their own bias and this is becoming really well known now right and with ai tools the more sort of powerful if we look at some of the social media uh social media businesses that are around at the moment the cultural impact they're having is kind of homogenizing the world with the culture that they were born from which i wonder with a tool yeah you know what i mean it's so like it's, american tv pervading it, throughout yeah, actually it's, it's a lot like american tv would yeah. have been but i suppose yeah. it's more connected because mm. it's more uh, uh responsive in a weird or way. you could say that the social media could be even more pluralistic because it's bringing in i don't know opinions from fiji and opinions from yeah. argentina opinions from alaska like you know it, it could be quite interesting from that perspective as well yeah but the, the, the cultural aspect of it, I, I mean, I, I think of like, you know, you, you see some of the CEOs and they always have the one outfit and suddenly it's quite trendy just to wear the one outfit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, uh, I get you. And okay. if, yeah. if, if AI is kind of 
constructed like that. So if you're using a tool like yours, which is actually built in a particular way, it might start to influence creative ideas because it comes from a place of uh, a bias in a weird way. I see. It was just kind of interesting because we tried to make it... Um well, the semantic graph, uh, which basically means it's a really high dimensional um, sort of state where you try and find the sort of relationship between uh, pairs of words, um, is yes, based on the words that you feed into it in the first place. But those words come from articles or books or, yeah. um, you know, whatever it is that humans write about that particular industry, say. Uh, so in this case, it could be culture or lifestyle or trends or something like that. Um, so it's trying to be quite wide in terms of which humans do that. Is it quite constant, though, in terms of its time frame? So it would be now. This is what people are thinking or writing about sort of now. So it almost encapsulates the culture now. And so in 10 years, we could do it and it would be... It would be a different thing. It would be a different yeah. thing. So so definitely. So, for example, like I was mentioning before, um, so... so Say we're creating something that's cultural lifestyle and trends. There could be another one just for games design. There could be another one just for you know innovation. So there's a mm, not just a time element. It could also be a, a discipline element. Um, but also saying, oh, what about if we just trained it on 19th century romantic literature? <laughs> then it's just going to give us stuff related, uh, you know, in terms of that gram grammar and you know the, the words of the day type thing. So it's quite nice as well um, to be able to capture that sort of um, element of things and whether you want to retain the the lingo of the discipline or the time is quite an interesting thing but also we're looking at how can we update this constantly but it's quite interesting because in fact people afterwards have fed back to us and have gone actually the AI has helped us out of our human unconscious bias yeah. maybe because if you're an individual person interacting with it versus a whole bunch of people that informed um you know the the design of it you 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 tend to see a difference between individual and you know um a broader sort of range of, of opinions basically. so it's kind of like knowing when to break the rules again yes. it's it's what martin was saying you know understanding with a with a program like this like this is i'm taking these insights now i'm going to break the rules i'm going to try and reform it create something different yeah. which again i guess is what creativity is right yeah, and also because we're trying to say, so for example, say if I give you the tool and I give you the tool, right? Um, you might enter the same thing. Um, you might even sometimes get the same suggestions out, but the way that it triggers you um, mm. into thinking about, yeah, like you said, somewhere in Ireland, you know, um, yeah. with their feet up, et cetera. And the way that I thought about it, which is the deep south, right? Um, it would, it, the combination of the two things would always come up with something different. So, so, so one thing would be like um, a musician, who say plays the piano and is limited to say those 12 notes in that octave, albeit there are 88 notes maybe on the piano, doesn't mean that, you know, we're all gonna create the same songs over and over again. There are so many different combinations. Even if we look at it from a slightly linear way like that, you'll have so many different outputs already. Um, but that's the sort of thing that why I really think is that symbiosis between the two in terms of that conversation. Do you think uh, do you think tools like this and or AI in general will change the meaning of creativity? I, one of the things I was kind of yeah maybe uh, suggesting so so this you know that we were saying um, it's been tools to represent um, one directionally what we have in our brains to other people right now that we have AI can the AI influence us back like in this sort of dialogue and representation? Yeah, I think it's a question that we haven't you know begun to understand yet. Um, so, for example, wasn't it that the, the AI painting that got sold for like a f 
few hundred thousand or even a million or something. So is that because it's aesthetically pleasing or because somebody went, oh, it has a lot of value now. I wonder what it yeah, will do PR, later. Yeah, it's very, very kind of PRable. Right. So even the idea of what we think of creativity always changes anyway. The value uh, is, is it could be monetary, especially in the art world, right? Or it's just like, um, okay, is it aesthetically pleasing? Is it emotional? So one of our advisors, for example, um, um, Marcus de Sotoy, I don't know if you've heard about him. So he's a great sort of um, mathematician and presenter of science, um, is actually working currently on AI and music. Um, that's very emotional, right? Um, and he's working on, um, they did a show at the Barbican where it was all about uh, trying to replicate Bach and can you tell? <laughs> or or would it be bits of AI and bits of actual Bach coming together and can you tell? Probably, so, probably can, especially start getting, was it Bach's fugues, which are actually a very kind of mathematical approach to music. Well, yeah, I mean, that's why you chose uh, Bach, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but actually, yeah, we had like sort of live um, sort of, putting your hands up when you thought it was AI, when you thought it was the, the man himself sort of thing. Um, sometimes it was really, really difficult. Um, but if you know what you're looking out for, yeah, yeah, it's actually knowing when to break the rules. The AI doesn't quite know how to do that yet. And some of the other things that we were thinking about is like the emotional response um, that it elicits. So how do you break rules, right? Because that's yeah. the thing that, you know, especially with the AI painting and all those other bits that I find interesting is it's the emotional, mm. it's, you get, you get my emotional response, and then you get the herd collective emotional response, right? Yeah. And what the societal or the cultural group will implant meaning onto something and the individual. And that is really fascinating to me. Yeah. Uh, and uh, is there any sort of cognitive th- thought around that or research around that which I think affects we're thinking what you we do? might want to do that i don't think that that's been mapped in a way of going okay which so rule breaking unless yeah. it's which emotion that's something we might want to look into there has been some research on um more the emotional responses of music yeah. uh cognitively speaking so yeah because you, you can read that i guess in yeah and also of, pictures yeah. yeah you can see which types of images get people uh primed to be um, happier or scared or f- fearful or sad. Yeah, we've done some work with a company called, we partnered with a company called Emrays, who have sort of done some research around that, which is exactly that re- emotional responses to, to, to different um, visual stimuli. Yeah. And obviously there are certain things such as colors yeah. have an emotional response. Yeah. In fact, I've actually done a project myself where I've had people in an EEG and just, yeah. and, and sort of sensory, sort of sensory deprivation of everything but color, mm. just pure color washes. Wow. Um, and you do, I mean... What did you get, yeah. So you, you can't... So um, we just absorbed an entire room, just pure colour, so it was almost like snow blindness, so you couldn't actually even get a kind of sense it was just colour, it was just light. And um, blues and greens were very nice and very relaxing and, and very meditative, but you switch out to something like a pure red and you couldn't last more than a few seconds. It was horrible. Really? Yeah, wow. it was a really kind of quite powerful, quite quite powerful effect because we'd taken it to this extreme of like almost complete sensory deprivation apart from just bright primary colours. That's super interesting. And just kind of washed um, through. Because um, I mentioned very briefly at the end is like how we were thinking of personalising this even more with EEG, essentially. Um, with different visual sort of interface changes. And the main thing I want to look at is color, um, which is quite interesting. So, um, you know, apparently white helps you get that creative idea, especially if it's kind of cogitating and it's just about to come through and it's not quite there. Um, Looking at something quite sort of plain and white apparently helps. The blues and greens that you mentioned apparently maintain people in that flow state. Um, Also Mars green, apparently. Somebody did a, like a study. It's like the world's favorite color. That's interesting. Um, 
Um, you know, but also some people have done actual research on the color red um, and the color blue, just the two opposites. And um, they're sort of, you know, say infrared and red and uh, ultraviolet and blue. And they, they, they showed that um, red actually increases your blood pressure, yeah. uh, literally. And blue does the opposite. And then they looked at the um, sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. One basically increases your arousal, the other one brings it right down. So kind of we're looking at, can we get a sweet spot for people dependent on um, how they're feeling right now because that can change as well right um, with color so it's really interesting you did that yeah and one of the things actually the findings were it wasn't actually individual colors so we talked to a color psychologist quite a lot about this so and, it's a um, blend of colors right yeah so like yeah. for example yellow alone can have kind of associations of warmth but yellow and black is danger because um, evolutionary we've learned from tigers and bees and bees, all that yeah. kind of stuff because um, it's nature nature signaling danger so so the, so this particular color psychologist um, was her, her research was much more in color combinations. Wow, that's really interesting. I might ask you more about that later. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just kind of coming back to how does how does using that to inform creativity is quite interesting because you can then shortcut what is the emotional response. So, so again, we kind of when we part we partner with this company Emrays, which is exactly that, which is to do some evaluation of the the creative solutions that we come up with and start to get a predictive model for what how people will feel. What will be an initial emotional response? Will they will they feel angry, happy, sad? You know, depending kind of on the color you use and the visual imagery, you mean? Yeah, and it's also mm -hmm. kind of balances of colors, but it also starts to look at things like and kind of materials and so like sort of stones and metals can be quite can have sort of different reactions. Yeah, that's it's really kind of really interesting, interesting. But it's this other world of trying to kind of codify creativity, which up to this point we all sort of instinctively do, and we've had to just learn instinctively. It's not really taught because it can't really be taught because we don't understand how it works. So was that codifying creativity or codifying the effect of the creativity that you did? Because that's the audience actually like. Uh, yeah, it's evaluating the, the output. So basically it's almost, yeah, exactly. it's almost like a measurement approach mm. of mm. what is this, what is the sort of the success of yeah. this? If you, if you want people to feel in a particular way, is it doing that? Right. Yep. 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 So I think the experiencer and the creator are two different questions here, I guess. Um, you know, so it doesn't enable your own brain processes, your own sort of cognitive health. So one of the things I was talking about is how creativity and a, and a good healthy practice around is actually really good for mental health and mental well-being. Um, not only because obviously it helps you with flexible thinking and, you know, um, resilience in the face of adversity, but actually with a flow state, people actually go, I felt amazing after that. There's lots of achievement. I feel joyous, that sort of stuff. But also there's a brain workout because so many different parts of the brain and so many systems are coming into play, like the attentional system memory emotion decision making all these sorts of things i think that's a different thing to whatever is produced and then how that affects say the the, the consumer of that or, or you know again an, a person can consume something and be in flow as well right so being a gamer for example or doing an online shopping experience or you know any of those sorts of situations as well is quite interesting so yeah what we would call a frictionless experience totally that yeah, yeah, yeah exactly that yeah yeah flow state's my favorite <laughs> like uh, it, whenever you, whenever I get towards it, it's just you can kind of oh that's so nice. It's just everything popping at a million miles an hour, but and, in a good and way. And can you feel it when you're in it? Like yeah. do you? And can you stay in it after? As uh, in during when, when once you've. Like, I can probably you know? do twenty minutes, thirty minutes. Yeah, yeah even like, when you like know the you're in it, method, right? method, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And then I ha and then I have to put it down and yeah. step away. Yeah, I know mine's four o'clock. Four o'clock and midnight. Yeah, From mine's experience. around that actually. That's yeah. funny. Hmm. <laughs> Which of course then gets into because there's you know there's things that have been widely shared online about the um the, the habits of highly creative people and obviously it is like you know 
wake up, you know, spend 12 hours um, doing booze and drugs and then at 2am, <laughs> just 2am till 6am, do write a best-selling novel and then sleep yeah, through to... Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right model, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but then again, it comes back to this sort of like this kind of perverse idea, which is we're trying to build business models around creativity. And it's like, right, you will be in the office between nine and five and you'll be creative right, in those hours. Right, right, That's right, like, right. It just doesn't work that way. And, and Totally. No, I, but I, what I about if it was the other way around, which is like, you know what? We're expecting you to be in here at 9 a.m. You're clearly not at your best. So let's not even bother doing that. You're much better at 4 p.m. Come in later. And in fact, there's this other person who's also in flow at the same time as you. You guys should pair up, right? Whereas you obviously aren't very good with and that's, this other and that's, person. And that's the battle. And, and, yeah. and, I, and I have had exactly those conversations at the sort of board level where, you know, you're representing you're representing the, um, the creative product in a, a board level. Um, and... You know, there's been examples where I've, I've overseen a team, uh, an ad agency previously, and you'd give them a brief and they'd disappear off to the gym for two days. <clears throat> and of course they'd be going, oh, those lazy those lazy creatives, they're no good. We've got, you know, should we fire them? Should we discipline them? I'm going, no, because at the end of those two days, they come back with literally award-winning work. Yeah. And you're going, so where's the, where's the problem? Is the problem that your kind of nervousness, you think that they are not working or in the fact that it's evaluated by the actual creativity? Because I know that actually, if if they, if you if you just go and hang out in the gym, if you're in a relaxed state, working out all those kind of things, you will have better ideas rather than going. Must be your desk. <laughs> Nine <laughs> o'clock. Why are you not at your desk? Absolutely. Because what's Absolutely. the output? Is, is yeah. the output is creativity. And the other thing you just mentioned um, is maybe not just the the sort of the habits of of the creative. It's also to do with maybe your circadian rhythm. Like, so, yeah. so literally, um, some people have more wakefulness later and more wakefulness um, earlier. So there was some studies that were done um, not using any brain stuff, but just, you know, asking people whether they're in a flow state in their work at different times of the day, um, at, like little short questions literally at multiple points in the day and measuring how in flow they felt throughout the day and they actually saw this sort of variation um, throughout the day um, I think if you actually then look at your cortisol levels it actually follows that as well so cortisol is the thing that actually wakes you up in the morning but it's also the thing that makes you stressed so you need to have a sweet spot of something along yeah. those lines yeah um and so and you need to be well rested too so actually it's probably a bit of a myth to be like i will be sleep deprived for a week and think that i'll come up with lots of creative thoughts right you probably go pretty crazy um yeah. <laughs> but you know apparently the ability or the level of flow that you get is much reduced if you're not well rested so how do you, so that's actually quite interesting. So how how are you measuring people's flow state? So they were there. So this is actually the person um, you know who coined it. There. Um, so Tik Sen Mihai obviously had students, PhD students, who then went on to do postdocs. Da, da, da. So then they then um, devised this really interesting um, sort of questionnaire called the Short Flow Work Scale. Um, literally three questions, um, and then various other people then also came onto it and started creating other psychometric tests. These are validated across um, huge amounts of the population. So so that's why they're called psychometric tests. And then they looked at thought workers, including coders and graphic designers, actually. Um, and then, you know, just asked them at multiple points in the day. Um, and from the results of that, they were able to find, you know, levels um, and profiles um, of people's flow states throughout the day, which is quite interesting. And those three questions again, sorry, were? Um, it short. would be part of the short flow work scale. That's just one of them there's a few other ones as well but um they did also ask them um do you feel well rested today (laughs) in the morning right and then correlated it with um the profiles um you know and some people just would never get there 
and that correlated with oh, I hmm. just haven't been sleeping very well, you know. Yeah, yeah, of course, actually, yeah, and just being kind of being, being kind of sensitive to that. Yeah, and I think so. The more knowledge, and so what you call the quantified self, right, is is kind of allowing you to be more in agency of your own you know, processes and trying to understand yourself better, um, I think is actually a, a cooler way of looking at it than going, oh, this is going to be imposed from up on high. It's more like, okay, I know how I work better. Um, you know, I need to take this into my own hands and be like, okay, I'm obviously better at 4 p.m. <laughs> or actually, I'm also better at 11 a.m. for a brief moment, actually. No more emails for now. Hold the, yeah. hold the presses, guys. I'm and just going to do this the thing. The professional, you know? the experience and professionalism kicks in, which is you kind of say, someone like me, if I've got if I've got to write, so, so if I've got to write an article or write something or something or, or, or articulate a creative idea, I, I won't try and do that at 9 o'clock in the morning. I, that, that, literally, that would be either like 4 in the afternoon or when I'm at home and my family's all gone to bed and it's like midnight. Because, again, you know, you feel it is literally that sort of feeling in the flow state where you're just kind of almost like just automatically typing. The rest of the day, I mean, I've, I've, I've historically referred to the kind of creativity as like going to the toilet, right? Your body just does it when <laughs> right. it wants to. You can't yeah. go, right, go now. <laughs> I can't. I get it. I go get on. Yeah. Can't come up with an idea right now. Well, that being said, like sometimes I feel like it's not like my cycles aren't um, like constrained in 24 hours. Like I sometimes feel like I can build up to something for days. Like and then when I know I'm right and ready and cooked, if that makes sense, I just go for it. Right. And then I'm in it for days. Right. And again, trying to find the cortisol sweet spot. (laughs) Is it it more about that? I think it's also elements of, you know, I mean, my my most recent things, although you might not call this creative writing is is writing grants, actually. But it is it is a lot of creative, uh, you know, um, essentially being really concise with a hell of a lot of like information and being able to communicate it really well. Right. And so a lot of it could mean me sort of sitting there skim reading it for a second walking away, thinking about something else, formulating stuff, doing something else, coming back to it, going, mm-hmm, writing a couple of notes, da, 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 leaving it, and then really kind of cogitating, cogitating, and then going, right, I'm ready now. Boom, you know? Yeah. So, the overnight test is also just a fantastic kind of way of, of, of doing, again, you, event, you, really, you over time you, uh, you understand all of these ways of working yeah. and overnighting an idea that you can think yeah. is brilliant. You wake up the next morning and yeah. go, that does not work at all. Yeah, or the other way around, which is, um, so when I used to like study for exams, I would be like, oh, there's just one little thing I needed to do in terms of book chapter. I'm just going to read it before I go to bed. I know it's not really going to go in, but I bet you it, would, it will go in when I wake up in the morning. It's there, you know? So it's actually also another way of kind of going, here's a problem I kind of want to solve. Let's think about it. Let's go to bed. See if, it, you know, you wake up with the answer in the morning. It's kind of that way of incubating, I'd say. Is there is there an effect with the REM state and creativity? Yeah, I'm so interested in that. I mean, like for one thing, why do we dream? Yeah, right. <laughs> Honestly, so so one of the so when I was talking to you about jugular earlier, right? So one of the the sort of things that we looked at was um, memory, dreams, recall. Um, you know, uh, some people say it's because you know you're trying to embed into your memory all of the 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 days. Uh, events essentially Um, and there is um, sort of evidence to show there's a lot of recall but it happens at 50 times the speed um, of how it really happened you know in real in real time so your brain's literally going you know and and doing a fast forward like replay as a movie type thing and you can influence that um, with different sounds and priming while someone's asleep so that's kind of scary Um, but in terms of when you start having really wacky dreams which is not about um you know, literal things that happened. Um, I do wonder, you know, like I do wonder whether that's actually some 
you know, extended incubation period where you can literally visualize all these thoughts that never come together normally, right? So, yeah. Because sometimes there's, a, you know, you, you're like, oh, I dreamt about that because I'm really worried about this. And that, that happens a lot. The worry about something normally oh, yeah. subconsciously yeah, cracks some out. sort of imagery, right? Yeah, exactly. But then the just totally off-the-wall weird stuff, you yeah, know, totally. uh, that, that seems to be... Uh, a monster of different experiences and ideas throughout our day. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it's really rich. I'm very into dreams. Definitely. And just what you were saying about circadian rhythms and stuff, like all of those things you could see could be really yeah. linked if you sort of MR if you sort of scan someone's brain yeah. to have a look at how those bits are different. Yeah, I mean, whether I subconsciously do it or whether I sometimes kind of consciously do it and I know I have an album to write, <laughs> for example, I probably start getting a bit healthy with myself and, <laughs> you know, and kind of going, right, I, I need to think about this before I go to bed. I need to go to bed for one thing. Um, you know, I need to have no distraction here. I need to like, you know, da 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 da. So I end up having like a bit of a creative plan for mm -hmm. myself um, and then I do stay in it for like months you know and then the album's done so. are your are your flow states different depending on you know if you're doing something which is very creative like music is that different to writing a grant and your flow state or is does it feel the same uh, I'm I mean so so it does feel the same actually really if yeah. I think about it um, but maybe the way I access it is different mm -hmm. um and maybe the output is slightly different. So, so, so if I am composing something, yeah, it could really, really take a hold of me, and then it will be hours, and I'll just look up, and then you know, and then I'll I probably I will wake up and I'll still be in it, and I'll try and finish the thing, right? Um, if it's improvising, um, so, so say say that's composing, right? So com um, there's definitely a, a a transformation of time thing that I'm most mm. aware of with that one. Say I'm improvising, yes, that's there, but I also have lots of feelings of joy. Uh, so so that may not be as present maybe in the other one, but there's definitely achievement in both of them. Um, when I'm, say, devising something with other people in a theater situation, it's very much like brainstorming or riffing off someone down the pub or whatever it is. It's also su like really super rewarding. Um, cognitively, you're just going, going, going as well. So I think that's why I say it's, it's similar in all of these spaces, but maybe the outputs are different. So, I mean... That's why, so for example, the, the, the research that I did, I looked at musical improvisation and found these areas of the brain. Other people looked at lyrical improvisation and found the same areas of the brain. So certainly musically and lyrically or verbally, there seems to be uh, a commonality as far as the brain's concerned. Um, maybe because it's ideation, maybe it's because it's, you know, generation. Um, but it, you might think of the brain activity as a form of a genotype, but then the way that it expresses, which is the phenotype, it could be different, right? Um, and so maybe say for like an athlete or, you know, um, a strategist or whatever, again, it comes out differently um, because of the work that you do. Um, and it happens when it's um, something that you're really quite skilled at doing um, and that you have a a handle on it rather than trying to learn it from scratch so yeah you get me to go off and be a marathon runner and it'll take some time for me to get into flow i would say yeah but it will still like come that. from the same place right I'm it's still an evolution curious about that yeah, yeah definitely so i think that's why somebody asked i think maybe yeah whether it's the same processes that everybody might go through um in yeah. order to get to that state maybe mentally speaking yeah mental model based stuff but say if it's something physical which i think is another way of getting into flow maybe something slightly different yeah yeah so yeah great thank you so much more to talk about yeah so, i know so, we could so keep, I keep going for ages so, so we always um 
we always end our podcast by asking um, recommended reading. What should our uh, what should our listeners if they want to follow yeah. up? Because there's so, there's so many themes that you've touched on there, and and, and as always, we'll, we will link to all of your various things in our show notes, including your your TED talk, your um your your paper as well as available. So we'll link to that um, and anything else. But any anything people should should read? Yeah, I mean, you can actually download my thesis. Uh, if you want to be like, you know, the fifth or sixth person that reads it in the world. <laughs> um, Would you like us to peer review it? Why not? Yeah, there That's you go. Great tips, imagine. So um, it's called The Neuroscience of Musical Creativity Using Complexity Tools. Yeah, a mouthful. But essentially it does give you quite a lot of literature review yeah. on different types of creative thinking um, and a whole bunch of other stuff looking at um, how to connect mental models um, uh, some of which are from this guy called Wallace from 1926, um, which actually talks about the different frameworks of innovation, but mm. then trying to link that up uh, from the psychological and the physiological sense, um, if you're really interested in the brain stuff. But then there's also this uh, cool book called um, The Multidisciplinary Contributions to the Science of Creative Thinking. Again, not really Catch easy to yeah, yeah. <laughs> roll off the tongue, um, but it's, it's available by Springer um, and... It's quite cool. They've got the theoretical aspects of creativity, the social aspects, um, creativity in design and engineering, creativity in the arts. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think they're pretty readable, but like short little essays on different sort of elements mm. of that. Um, there's also, um, there's an expert in creativity literature called Mark Runko. Um, he seems to have written a book. As well, I'm not sure exactly whether that's the most up-to-date book he's written, but it's called Creativity, Theories and Themes, Research, Development and Practice. So again, I'm giving you a lot of like under Great. the hood, yeah, yeah. metaphysical <laughs> And we'll, we'll, we'll kind of publish all, the, publish all the links to these as well so people can kind of can follow up on them. Yeah, what that Wallace thing teaches me is that in 1926, we had a process for creativity and yet still in 2019, we're still trying to process for creativity. Yeah, and that's something I actually wanted to highlight to everybody. It's like, it's... Um, it's not a new thing, huh? Like no. people have been trying to look at it for nearly a hundred years, yeah. um, and it's really interesting because he looked at, um, like I was saying, you know, they looked at engineers as well as he looked at like musicians and fine artists, right? Um, and found this sort of commonality. Um, so I would say trying to find a process um, underlying creativity does not detract from the experience of its mystical, mm. you know, um, blooming or whatever it is. So in a way, trying to provide a framework is not trying to hem it in, you know. So, yeah, the business element of things, if we if we can actually angle it in that way, I think it'd be much more enabling than, than trying to be constraining, you know. So if people are listening to this podcast thinking about how can we, um, how can we fire all our creatives... <laughs> Turns out you come. Yay! <laughs> that's, what it's a, yeah, that's what it's all about. Future of humanity. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. Carmen, Thanks a lot. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you, Sharma, for coming into the Genuinix podcast. It was really interesting to talk to you about your thoughts around AI and uh, see that we don't necessarily have to be battling with it to achieve creative greatness. We asked Sharma if she had any recommendations for anything to read. Uh, there are some links in the description below. Uh, and there's also a couple of links to a few of her talks. If you have any questions or thoughts, please do get in touch. Podcast at jackmorton.co.uk Don't forget to like and subscribe for more episodes. Till next time, thank you very much. <laughs>